Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Fanae Power. So I just want to thank you once again for this opportunity. I'm going to say a word of prayer. I'm going to get into our devotion for this morning. So please close your eyes, bow your heads with me as I pray. Father God in heaven, be with us, Father, as we open your word. We pray for the spirit of the living God that he may fall afresh upon us. Convict us, Lord, and lead us into all truth. And we pray for the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have heard our prayer. And we thank you for this gift. For we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll read from verse 16 to verse 18. So if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to verse 18. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This morning, the thought which I would like to study with you is that little expression you find in verse 17, which says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. So the title of our devotion this morning is Affliction Worketh for Us. I just want you to suppose just at this moment that you may be a CEO of or the director of a hospital, right? And I come to you and I tell you, so how many people are working for you? And as a CEO or the director of the hospital, you may say, we have around about 150 staff. We have people working in the uh, in, in radiology, we have people working with people who have uh, cancer in various wards. You have nurses, AINs, RNs, and you have people who clean up, janitors, people who work in the cafeteria all together, around about 150. And I say, that's good. And I may come to, let's say, I come to a principal of a school and I tell the principal how much people are working with you or for you. And he may say, look, we have around about 30 people working for us. We have 10 looking after the high school and 10 looking after the public school, the primary. And altogether, we have around about 30 people working for us. And so my question to you is, is anything working for you? Or is anybody working for you? According to the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, yes, affliction is working for you. Now, maybe you didn't hire affliction, and maybe many of us would not have affliction on our payroll, but friends, he is on God's payroll, and God has hired affliction to work for you. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, title of our devotion is, Affliction Works for Us. 
Now, of course, doubtless Paul's text, his thought is not so much the fact that affliction is on our payroll, but rather that he's talking about affliction working for us in the sense that affliction is doing something for our advantage, isn't it? And that's why it helps us to visualize it, is that affliction is working for us. To state it another way, affliction is not working against us, but affliction is working for us. Let me illustrate it another way. Um, I remember when I was a very young child, and if there's any children here, um, you may not remember, but uh, this will probably kind of reveal how old I am. But rem I remember when I was young, and many of the oldies may attest still relate with me is that you remember when you used to go on the highway that uh there were tolls before there was anything such as a e-tag you know electronic tag um it seems like everything's electronic these days i i find that people have electronic dogs and electronic vacuums and i find that technology sometimes is making us lazy but this was before there was e-tags uh you used to go to the toll and I remember when I was young, I used to always love paying the toll. So I'd always go to the, the side where the toll was because when I put down the window, I would pay the toll. And when you pay the toll, you would eventually move forward and go to your destination. And as I grew older, I came to the understanding that, um, especially when I come to Stanmore, I have to tell you this is the truth. Whenever I travel to Stanmore, I know that it's in the city. Whenever I put my GPS, I always... I, I swipe the, the screen and say, avoid toll. And I remember when I was coming there once that I avoided the toll on my app, but I was following it. And I saw that as I was on this highway going towards the city, I saw toll. I saw the toll. And in my mind, I was like, I'm not going to pay the toll. You know, that's an expense that I don't want. And so I went off the street. And as I diverted, I came to another toll. And so I evaded that again, and eventually I came, I turned all the way around, and then I had to go through the toll. And the thing is this, the reason why I, I share that is that usually when we think of affliction, we think of it like the toll. Um, and that is why we, we brace ourselves to resist affliction, and sometimes we may go a long way around to avoid meeting it on the road, but friends, affliction is only trying to help us get to our destination. Um, and so affliction is working for us. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. And as you turn to Genesis chapter 42, I'll give you a background. You remember in the story of Jacob and his 10 sons. Joseph had already been sold uh, and he sent his 10 sons. Benjamin stayed back with him. And during the time of famine, Jacob, he sent his 10 sons down into Egypt to get corn. And when they went to get corn, they were accused of being spies. And the only way that they could be exonerated, the only way that they could be declared innocent was by bringing their youngest brother, who was Benjamin, to the Egyptian ruler. And so eventually when they returned home, they told their father what had happened, that Simeon, he had been imprisoned and that the Egyptian ruler demanded that Benjamin be brought down as proof to release Simeon. So in Genesis chapter 42, notice verse 36. So when Jacob had received this news, he was so dejected and disheartened. That it seemed like a gloomy cloud of despondency had marshaled around Jacob. And in Genesis 42 verse 36, notice what the Bible says. It says, and Jacob, their father, said unto them, 
me have ye bereaved of my children. He says, Joseph is not, Simeon is not, and ye will take up Benjamin away also. And notice what he says, all these things are what? They are against me. But the question is this, friends, were they against Jacob? No. Affliction was working for Jacob. And I wonder if there's any Jacobs listening to me this morning. It may seem like everything is against you. You against the world. You against your family. You against your employer. You against the government. But the thing is this. Affliction was working for Jacob and not working against Jacob. Everyone was working for Jacob, even his own beloved son, Joseph, who was masquerading as the Egyptian ruler. I'm trying to convey this message to you that affliction is not working against us, but is working for us. Turn with me to Genesis 41, chapter before. You remember when Joseph, when he was sold as a slave to the Ishmaelites, to the Midianite merchantmen, uh, he was age 17, and when he came before Pharaoh, he was 30 years old. And in Egypt, before the seven years of famine, there were seven years of plenty. And he had two sons to Asnath, the daughter of Potiphera, uh, the priest of On. And Joseph, he had two sons, and he called the first one Manasseh, but the second one he called Ephraim. And notice what it says in Genesis 41 and verse 52. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to notice to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, affliction was not just working for Jacob. Affliction was working for Joseph as well. And so, friends, God does not want us to languish or to murmur the land of our affliction. God's ultimate desire is for us to bear fruit in the land of our affliction. I think of John 15, 5, when Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And then eventually you ask the question, how do we abide in Christ? Because if we don't abide in Christ, we cannot bear any fruit, right? And so in John 15, verse 7 and 8, he, he actually explains how we can bear fruit. He says, if my words abide in you, uh, you shall, you shall bear much fruit, and so you will glorify our Father which is in heaven. You see, God did that for Joseph in his land of affliction, and he can do that for you. And I think some of the greatest moments of euphoria in the eternity that awaits you and I in the kingdom of God in the by and by will be when God turns the pages of the book of life and opens to you and I the meaning of the afflictions that in his love, he put on his payroll to work for us down here in this world. What do you say? Amen. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see, someone may say, well, Paul, <clears throat> that is all right for you to talk that way. But listen, if you had the afflictions that I have had, you might not say that. And Paul may answer you and I and say, well, what affliction have you had, right? And I can think of some which some of us may say. You and I may begin to recite some of our troubles to Paul. And one of those troubles might be, well, Paul, one of my troubles is, you know, I endured 107 days of lockdown in my home with a mask on. That's a legitimate trouble, right? 
Some of us may say, you know what, Paul, I lost my first child to a miscarriage. And that is very unfortunate as well. Some may say, look, I lost my parents to a drunk driver on the road. And Paul may say, that is a legitimate trouble. Some of us may say, my family disowned me and are persecuting me because I want to keep the Sabbath. You see, all these troubles of life, we know that what each and every one of us, though we may necessarily even know one another, each of us go through affliction in life. But you see, Paul, he would respond back to us and bounce back and say, look, I had troubles as well. And you read about Paul's troubles throughout the book of Corinthians, but specifically in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 to 28. And you can write that down where Paul, he, we read about the account of Paul's affliction. And he says, look, five times I had received 39 stripes by the Jews. Altogether, that's what, 195 stripes? And the tool which they used, oh my. It would have ripped through his skin and blood would have come gushing out. But he said, you know what? That's light affliction. Three times was he beaten with rods. Once was he stoned and left for dead. Three times he suffered shipwreck. A night and a day he had spent in the deep. Everywhere Paul went, his life was constantly in danger. You see, what do you say to an individual who figuratively he sleeps with his one eye open? Uh, his, second, his second home is like a, is a prison. He spent some of his time in prison and he wrote many of his epistles there, from there as well. But you see, on top of all that, uh, we even told that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He had problems with health. And some of us may have problems with health as well. But he said that the messenger of Satan had buffeted him. And you see, because Paul, he loved to read he was a student, he was a scholar, but his eyes were so affected as a result of going to Damascus to persecute the Christians that, uh, you know, he even had someone that he had to dictate his letters to to write. And so, you know, Paul, he had many troubles. He had many afflictions, but he learned this lesson, friends, which we must learn as well, is that he could say from his heart that affliction was working for him. And I wonder if affliction is working for you. Turn with me now to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, and we read verse 21 and 22. Acts chapter 14, 21 and 22. And once again, I'll just give you a broad context. You find that in Acts chapter 13, Paul had come to Antioch in Pisidia. There was two Antiochs. There was Antioch in Syria where they were first called Christians, Acts eleven twenty six, And then in Acts 13, this is on Paul's first missionary journey. He comes to Antioch in Pisidia. And the church in Antioch, Pisidia, I find very interesting. Uh, he went to church on the Sabbath there, by the way, as well. But the thing is, the, the reason why I find the church in Antioch in Pisidia very interesting is because when Paul, when they came there, like the, the, the leaders there said, look, Paul, do you have any word of exhortation? He didn't have any prepared sermon. He was one of those men, and he just had to stand up. He preached. Eventually, the Greeks in the congregation, they besought Paul, look, preach to us the word next Sabbath as well. And the whole city came. And eventually, the Jews, they oftentimes, you know, the gospel, it, it, uh, it rubs people different ways. Sometimes there's good response and a bad response as well. And so the Jews there, they wanted to persecute Paul and Barnabas. They wipe off the dust off their feet and they go to Iconium, second place. When they go to Iconium, same thing happens there. The Jews, they wanted to stone Paul and they fled to a place called Lystra. 
And when they went to Lystra, they, he found a man who was impotent in his feet, uh, born from his mother's womb, couldn't walk. And Paul steadfastly beholding him, he perceived that he had faith to be healed. And he spoke loudly and he says, get up. And he began to leap. And the people there in Lycaonia, they actually, they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they called uh, Barnabas, I believe, Jupiter. And they called Paul uh, Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. And so Paul and Barnabas told them, look, we didn't. They didn't know that they were worshiping them or giving sacrifice to them. And so eventually, when they found out, they, they spoke to them and said, look, we, got, we came here to turn you from these vanities to the living God. But eventually, they still, they still offered sacrifices. And the thing is this, when you come to Acts 14, verse 21 and 22, there were people from Antioch in Pisidia, people from Lystra, who came all the way to, uh, sorry, in Iconium, they came all the way to Lystra to persecute Paul. And they did, and they left him for dead, and they thought he was dead, but eventually he got up, went into the city, and came out. And this is where we find Acts 14, 21 and 22. Notice the Bible, what it says. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, that is Derby, the fourth city, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming, or in the Greek, strengthening the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You see, this verse teaches us this very powerful principle is that many people want the crown without the cross. You see in this verse where Paul, he encourages them, he strengthens them, that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. But the thing is this, he went back to the very places where he was persecuted. And I find that very interesting. <laughs> if, if you were being persecuted at a church, you wouldn't want to go back there. But Paul, being led by the Holy Spirit, he went all the way back to those, those cities, and he, he strengthened the disciples. He strengthened the brethren. Turn with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And notice how this connects in light of our lesson, how affliction is working for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. When Paul wrote to young Timothy, and when I say young, I, he was in his 30s, round about in his 30s. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11 and 12. Our lesson, affliction worketh for us. And notice in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. It says, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all, Paul said, the Lord delivered me. Praise God. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You see, notice what the verse says, and I believe this is very important is that it says persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me. You see, Paul didn't go looking for affliction. He didn't go looking for trouble. You have people like that in the church. They go looking for trouble. And sometimes they go looking for the devil. You remember in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, the Bible says in Matthew 4 verse 3 that when the tempter came to him. Very important lesson, my friends. Don't go looking for the devil. Don't go looking for the persecution. Don't go looking for affliction. Let them come looking for you. And when they come looking for you, may you just like Jesus say, it is written. Hide God's word in your heart so that when his temptations are 
suggested to you that you would rather die than to dishonor God. And so affliction came to Paul as he was doing God's will. And I believe this is important because, you know, in God's work, uh, just because we do God's work, it does not mean that we're immune to affliction. Each of us have feelings. We have emotions. But at the same time, we must put that aside and rely wholly upon the word of God. And so when you and I become a Christian, when you live, God, when you live a godly life, you must anticipate that affliction and persecution will come knocking at your door. And when persecution and affliction come knocking at your door, you say, Jesus, it's for you. Amen. Amen. So turn with me to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. And notice what the Bible says in Psalms 119. This is one of the biggest chapters in the Bible and it emphasizes the law of God. And so uh, if you want to find the Hebrew alphabet, you'll find it in Psalms 119. It's kind of uh, separated, I believe, by seven or eight verses. Eight verses, yes. But turn with me to Psalms 119 and verse 50. And notice what the Bible says there in Psalms 119, verse 50. Affliction worketh for us. And in Psalms 119, verse 50, the Bible says, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word has quickened me. You know, friends, many people, they are looking for a crossless religion, a religion which comes with no self-denial, a religion which comes with no sacrifice. They are searching for a religion of convenience, a religion that does not call sin by its right name, a religion that comforts them in their sin and, and does not comfort them in their affliction. And so... A religion which, I, if I could use the common expression, a religion that gives them a lift. And so they want a, a lift from religion, just like the lift they get from drinking coffee. We as Adventists don't drink that. But uh, the lift they get from smoking a cigarette, this is what they want. And sometimes they go looking for these things, even in the church, because they want those lifts. And so the music in these churches are catered in such a way that it's designed to give them this lift, the entertainment, the disco lights and the jesting, all that goes on to give them this lift. And so by the end of the meeting, they are affected emotionally and they are thrilled, perhaps even excited for a moment. But as in the case with the lift that comes with the cigarette or with the cup of coffee, there is a corresponding depression. Now, friends, listen, I want to be lifted but I don't want that type of lift. I want to be lifted by the sweet presence of Jesus. And you know, Jesus said that as well in John 12, 32. He says, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. You see, if we lift up Jesus, he is the individual that will draw people. And I find that we don't need to compromise standards. We don't need to dilute the gospel. We don't need to make the gospel more relevant. If God said it, it's relevant. Amen. And so in John 12, 32, Jesus says, if I be lifted up from the earth, lift up Jesus, friends. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is God. And God is love in 1 John 4, 8. And so when we lift him up, it is the love, it is the unmerited love of God that draws people to Christ. And so in our text, in Psalms 119, verse 50, you notice that the, the verse says, this is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has quickened me. You see, some translations, they say that your word has revived me. Your word has given me new life. 
And so this text tells us that in our affliction, what do we need? According to the text, in our affliction, we need comfort. But then my next question is this, where does the comfort come from? The comfort comes from the word. And so the word is what gives us comfort in affliction. Not chocolate, not ice cream, not Netflix, but the living word of God. Amen? And so that's why it's so important that even Jesus said that he was the word. In John 1, 1 to 3, and eventually verse 14, he says, uh, the Bible says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the only begotten of the Father, uh, full of grace and truth. Um, and so that's John 1, 14. And so when it says to that we can be comforted in our affliction, friends, Jesus is the only one who can comfort us. And many times people go looking in various places to be comforted, and they still leave void. Why? Because God says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says he has put eternity in our hearts. And if you put that which is temporary there, you will always be void. You will always be void. And so in addition to that, I would also add is that we should not wait till we go through affliction to be comforted by God's word. You see, God's word is always available to us, friends. For many, the word of God is like a fire extinguisher. <laughs> we use it when there's fires. Now, it's good that it's accessible when we go through fire, when we go through storms, when we go through the, the troubles of life, but we shouldn't develop a habit to always do that. We should develop the habit that whenever we go through something, we turn, just like the flower turns to the sun, that our thoughts turn to God, because God is the only one who can truly give us peace. And so we're counseled in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, you know what? Give us this day our daily bread. It does not say weekly bread. It does not say monthly bread. It does not even say yearly bread. And definitely not expired bread, but daily bread. And we're told by Ellen White in Desire of Ages, page 389, paragraph 3, she says that what food is to the body, <laughs> Christ must be to the soul. And so I pray that that may be that to you as well. You see, food, every time when we wake up, usually the first thing we think of is breakfast, eat, lunch, dinner, potluck, which is good. That's thermal. I love it. Uh, but the thing is this, that the word of God should be that to us as well. What food is to the body, Christ must be to the soul. So we learn from Psalms 119 verse 50 that the word of God comforts us in our affliction. Turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And notice what the Bible says in verse 5 and verse 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 6. You remember when Paul went to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17? When he preached there, similar to what happened in, in Antioch in Pisidia and in Iconium, the people wanted to persecute him. So he left from Thessalonica, Thessalonica to Berea. And that's where we get the verse in Acts 17, 11, where it says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. And we ought to be Bereans as well. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of wolves in sheep clothing, and we need to be grounded in God's word. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, notice, not everyone in Thessalonica rejected or wanted to persecute Paul. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. He says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Let me stop here and digress. The word of God, it does more than change the your speaking or your conversation you see i've met a lot of people 
who say, you know, Christians are hypocrites. And it's not because of what they say. It's what they say and what they don't do. And so Paul in, in First Thessalonians, he says, look, when we preached our word, our gospel, it was not just in word. It was also in power. There was a visible difference in their life. People could see it even in their countenance, in the way that they spoke. And so he goes on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. It says, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord. Notice the end of verse 6, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Some versions actually say that they welcome the message in the face of severe suffering. So notice that the word does not just bring us comfort that we saw from Psalms 119 verse 50, but notice that the word also brings affliction. I remember a preacher once giving me advice about preaching, and I'm still learning, <laughs> praise the Lord, but the preacher gave me this advice about preaching. He said in preaching, uh, comfort the afflicted. And I said, amen. That's right. Comfort the afflicted. And he turned it around as well. And he said, you comfort the afflicted, but you also afflict the comfortable. <laughs> And the thing is, he, he was saying not so much being intentional in hurting people. He was saying, preach the word and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Many times I find even in my life that I try to do the work of the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, the Holy Spirit does a better job than I or any other preacher in convicting people of sin. And so let him do that work. Amen. And so, but notice the verse. I find this verse very interesting. It says, um, they received the word in much affliction with joy. And as I was thinking, I was like, how can you and I be joyful and be afflicted at the same time? Isn't that like a paradox? How can you be joyful and be afflicted? And as I was thinking, this is the best way I can explain it. Um, over this past pandemic and this lockdown, um, our church actually has been going through 40 days of prayer. And we have been seeing miracles, really have. Um, families being restored together, um, answer to prayers, people changing their life, even young children participating uh, in these 40 days of prayer and weeping. Um, and it's just, it's amazing what God does when revival begins to take place and when we come together in prayer. And so during this prayer meeting, I, I prayed this prayer specifically, and I'm going to share with you. In light of this, how can we be joyful and be afflicted at the same time? I prayed God, I said, Lord, um, you know, I can't be going out and knocking on doors, um, but Lord, I, I said, Lord, please bring the people to me. Please bring the people to me. And I had two people. Um, they were not, they were not Adventists. They were people who kept Sunday and they contacted me. I didn't even contact them. They messaged me and they messaged me and they said that they would like to do Bible study. And they wanted to study the book of Revelation, but I told them, if you want to study the book of Revelation, you must understand the book of Daniel. It's the context is very important. And that's why I was very encouraged to hear that you're going for the book of Daniel. We're told in inspiration that when we study these books, we have a completely new religious experience. And I've experienced that. And so I've, I've been going for the book of Daniel with them. And I find it very interesting because in our Sabbath school lesson, we were talking about the health message. And I find that the book of Daniel is so like God just put it in order. It's not necessarily in chronological order, but it's in thematic order. And I find the very introduction, Daniel 1, it really hits at the heart of the lower passions of man, diet. <laughs> and uh, you know that, you know, the reason why we find ourselves in the situation that we are in, 
uh, is because someone touched in the Garden of Eden, they touched something that they should not have eaten. And so, you know, where sin began, that's where Jesus began the plan of redemption in Matthew chapter 4 of a diet. And so as I've been going over uh, the book of Daniel with these, uh, these Sunday keepers, very sincere and nice people, I tell you of a truth, if, you, if I asked any of you right now, average answer for uh, if I told you is pig unclean. For many of us, even a little child, most likely, will say it's unclean. Now, when I was going through the Bible with them in Daniel 1, they were so surprised. Listen to me, they were so surprised that pig was unclean. I remember as I was going through them, they were like, mercy. Wow, I didn't know that. And I was like, that is like general knowledge for Adventists. And we're so blessed. It's not something to be superior or look down upon other people. It's just God has called us to be a peculiar people. And I find that like these distinctive truths really do um, play a huge role in reaching out to people. Um, and the thing is, when I went through it with them, one of them said it's okay to moderately eat unclean food and drink wine. That's unfortunate. But the other one was very respondent. And they were like, they went on a juice fast just this week. And so I'm just sharing this with you just to show you that one of them, they received the word with affliction, but they decided, you know what, I will continue to be moderate in drinking wine. And I told them, listen, you can't be moderate in sin. It doesn't make sense. Uh, and so with one of them, they gave it up. Uh, but the thing is, you know, even Paul, he said in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, he says, look, I did not just um, God didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. And not everyone will get baptized, and that's fine. But our, our duty is to present the truth as it is in Jesus. And so one of them received the word of God with much affliction, and they were contending with me, but eventually they gave in. And I've always learned this lesson, and I believe we should learn it as well, is that whenever you wrestle with God, you always lose. I'll say that again. Whenever you wrestle with God, you always lose. Ask Jacob. He lost. And people will say, oh, but he didn't. Well, the thing is this, whenever we win, it's because God allowed us. <laughs> so whenever you wrestle with God, you always lose. But the thing is this, she received the word with much affliction, but she was also joyful. Joyful knowing that the truth that she has now received, that it is the truth as it is in Jesus. And so now turn with me to Psalms 107. Psalms 107, I have a few more points and then I'll finish. Psalms 107, and we'll read verse 17. This chapter is actually one of the chapters that Almighty tells us to memorize. There's many. There's 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, Isaiah 58, I believe John 17, um, and Psalms 107 as well, because it deals with the history of, uh, of Israel. And I believe as we were during our Sabbath school lesson, you know how we have many of these things coming into our churches. And the thing is this. I believe the remedy for that is actually studying our history, hands down. If you study our history, you would be amazed or you would even be ashamed even to bring some of these things into our churches. Because the thing is, like I said, God has called us to be a peculiar people. He doesn't call us to be weird. <laughs> he calls us to be a peculiar people. And so um, in Psalms 107 and verse 17 to 20, notice our lesson, affliction is working for us. Psalms 107 verse 17 to 20, the Bible says, 
Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhors all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. I love this verse. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. You see, in this verse, what you find is that affliction can be self-inflicted. Okay? So we had with the word, sometimes the word brings affliction, but the thing is sometimes we bring affliction upon ourselves. And even when we bring affliction upon ourselves, this is what I love about God, is that when we sincerely repent and cry out to God and, and have an earnest desire no longer to do that anymore, even when we are on our deathbed, God is mighty to save. God is a kind and compassionate friend. God, friends, the Bible says in Micah 7, 18 and 19, that he delights in mercy. God doesn't delight in condemning people. He doesn't even condemn people. People condemn themselves. But the Bible says that God delights in mercy. And he can take our mess that we bring ourselves into, and he can bring joy out of that. And so I believe one of the quintessential examples I can think of, of an individual that brought affliction upon himself is found in the book of Jonah. So turn with me there. Turn with me to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. Jonah, chapter 2. So we're, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing out this point that affliction can be self-inflicted. Sometimes uh, affliction can come externally, uh, but there are times where we actually bring affliction upon ourselves. So notice in Jonah chapter 2, you know he was one of the, uh, the prophets who were from Gath Hefer, uh, which I believe was in, in Nazareth, near Nazareth. And he went down to Jabba because he wanted to go to Tarshish in the opposite direction. He went down into the ship and eventually he find himself down in the belly of the fish. And notice what Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, and cried I, and though thou heardest my voice. So notice, Jonah had brought affliction upon himself, by choosing to go down to Tashish, by choosing to go down to Joppa, down into the ship, and eventually into the belly of the fish. But notice, this affliction had brought Jonah to seek God more earnestly. And so this is one of the lessons which I want to bring out, which is the precious results of coming from affliction, is that whether affliction is external, whether the affliction comes from receiving the word, or whether it is even self-inflicted, if we know the Lord at all, we are going to do what when we are afflicted? We're going to seek him. We're going to cry out to him. And even Jonah praying from the belly of the fish, friends, his prayer was able to get to heaven and God gave him an answer. And even the fish uh, was obedient to God. And I find that there's big lessons in that. Sometimes animals obey God better than humans. But you find here that uh, this is God's purpose when we go for affliction that many times it either leads us to see God more fully or it actually leads us to rebel and see God in a different light. I like to illustrate it this way. Uh, if there's any parents online, I believe there is. If uh, When you take your children to the playground, <clears throat> uh, you know that when you take them to the playground, 
you know, they're holding onto your hand and they're looking at all the other kids and they're like, oh, should I go? Should I not? And they, they let go of your hand and they, they, they cling to your clothes. And then eventually they're just like, you know, I'm going. And so they go out into the playground and there comes a time when the child is in the playground that he forgets all about mommy and daddy. And, but what occurs is when they forget all about mommy and daddy, there comes a time when the kid falls off one of the swings or a bee stings the child or the little one stubs his feet against one of the playing equipment. And what is the first thought that comes to the little child's mind? Mommy, mommy, daddy. And they come running back to mom and they run back to daddy. And you see, I thank God, friends, that when you and I, when we get stung by bees or when we stub our toes, that we can run to our heavenly father. And that affliction can be a great means or blessing to draw us closer to our Lord. Truly, affliction works for us. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Almost finished. Please hang in there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Very well-known verse. Many of us know this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So notice all things are doing what? They are working together like a great team, a cooperative group working together for what? For good. Who for? For you and me. If this is the condition, this promise isn't for everyone. The promise is conditional on the sense that if we love our father in heaven and we do love him, don't we? In spite of all our weaknesses and all our infirmities, our very weakness leads us to rely more and more upon God. And so how much is working for us? All things working for us. You see, often when I survey the word of God, I find that God's plans cannot be thwarted by the devil. Time and time again, you read many stories, you find that whenever the devil, he, does, uh, he devised a plan <clears throat> to malign God's character or even to frustrate God's plans, we find that God used those dire circumstances, those ominous circumstances to reveal his goodness, to reveal his glory, to reveal his majesty, and even to reveal his power. You know, I think of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Uh, you find that when Joseph, when he was betrayed by his brethren, uh, sold to the Ishmaelites, lied about by his master's wife, Potiphar, he was forgotten even in the prison by the chief butler, forgotten for two years. That's like 720 days. But yet Joseph, after he had been reconciled with his brothers, after his father had died and they came back to him, still haven't necessarily reconciled in their mind that Joseph had forgiven them. Joseph said in Genesis 50 verse 20, he says, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You see, God had taken Joseph's dire circumstances and he turned it for his good, not just for his good, but for many others as well. You know, I think of Job, a very well-known story, Job. And when he had this catastrophic loss of his business in Job chapter 42, we find that when he lost all his children, he even lost his hair. And some of us are experiencing that right now. I'm getting older as well. I'm getting white hair, but hey, we're going to get a immortal boy. 
But uh, in Job 1.20, he actually, it was self-inflicted. <laughs> so the Bible says, then Job arose, he rent his mantle and he shaved his head. So, you know, he lost his hair as well. He lost his health. You know, he had sore boils from the crown of his foot all the way to the crown of his head. Um, and even to the point where his own wife, uh, her incredulity to God, she says, you know what, curse God and die. And, you know, when, when you're in a desperate situation like that, you know, those that type of behavior is like you can justify at times but the thing is this job still retained his integrity in god and so even towards the end of his life in job 42 verse 10 you find that the bible says that the lord turned the captivity of job when he prayed for his friends and i find that that's sometimes it's one of the most hardest things to do is to pray for your friends remember his friends were really his enemies and you know jesus did that on the cross and i find friends that's the that's very difficult to do when your life is not hitting Christ with God when you're not spending time with him. Um, Jesus' first words on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so in Job 42, verse 10, the Bible says that the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And eventually in verse 12, it says that the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. You see, God took the dire circumstances of Job, and he was able to bring out a double blessing even in the end. I think of Daniel, <clears throat> Daniel taken as a youth. I was told in inspiration that he was taken at the age of 18, taken as a captive into the land of Babylon, separated from his parents, tempted to eat and drink things that he shouldn't. Um, eventually, when he came into the time of the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, he had seen prophecy fulfilled before his very eyes, and he was scrutinized by the satraps and the princes. Why? Because he had an excellent spirit. And so eventually he was thrown into the lion's dead because he worshipped God truly. And, you know, the Bible even says that King Darius, uh, who issued the decree, he was deceived, that he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver Daniel. And so the, Daniel went through afflictions as well, friends. But he was promised at the end of his life in Daniel 12, verse 13, God tells him, look, go your way to the end, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot. At the end of the days, you see, God had promised that he would receive his allotted inheritance, even in the resurrection. And last of all, how can I think, uh, how can I forget Jesus? You remember when Jesus was tried, that when I read, when I spend time just meditating upon the last scenes of Jesus' life, which we're told to do in the book Desire of Ages, one hour each day, um, sin really becomes hateful to you, brothers and sisters, um, is that you find that, you know, his greatest crime was that he loved people. Um, it just amazes me at times because even his enemies, well, Pilate, declared him innocent three, four times. Uh, his wife received the dream that, uh, you know, have nothing to do with that just man. Yet Jesus was scourged and afflicted. He was beaten. He was mocked. And uh, when, uh, when faced between Barabbas and Jesus, uh, the crowd, they chose Barabbas. And we're told in the book, Desire of Ages, page 733, was that uh, the, that demons themselves were in human form in the crowd. They were crying, crucify Jesus, crucify him. And so even when Jesus was crucified, when he was lifted up on the cross, the devil thought that he had prevailed against Christ. Can you imagine that? He thought that he could frustrate God's plan. But the thing is this, God had turned an apparent defeat into his greatest triumph. You see in Colossians 2 verse 15, turn with me there. Colossians 2 verse 15, notice what the Bible says. 
We're coming to an end. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. I'm touching on how God can take our dire circumstances, our ominous circumstances, and he can uh, bring out um, of the deepest and the most eerie chapters of our lives that he can show even his glory and his power in that as well. And so in Colossians 2, verse 15, notice what the Bible says. Because Satan thought that when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, that he won. But friends, that's where Satan lost. <laughs> that's where Satan lost. And so in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, <clears throat> And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly in public, triumphing over them in it. That's in the cross. So at the cross, he had disarmed the principalities and powers of Satan, and he was able to triumph over them. And so in the eyes of Satan, the death of Jesus was his greatest victory. The eyes of God, the death of Jesus was Satan's great, greatest demise. And so in light of all these examples which I gave to you, likewise, the same for us is that God is able to take the betrayal of family members and to bring you into the palace of the king and to save much people alive. You see, God is able to take a loss of family member, a loss of hair even, a loathsome sickness, a malicious, uh, malicious statements by a spouse that curses God, who is an unbeliever. And he's able to restore twice as much as you had before. You see, God is able to even take separation from family. The false, accusa uh, the false accusations of work colleagues and promise you and I that you and I will rise in the first resurrection. And lastly... God is able to take your rugged cross and your crown of thorns and give you a harp and a crown of gold. Amen. And so listen, nothing can touch you and I except by the Lord's permission. And so all the suffering and sorrows that you and I go through, all the temptations and trials, all the sadness and griefs, all our persecutions and privations, all work together for good. They work together for good to them that love God. And so, friends, I'm going to finish on this last point, and then I'm going to say a prayer, is that the only way this can occur, that we can look at our affliction as being light and our affliction working for us, is by faith. And you see, that's what it takes. It takes faith. You see, because when things are looking against you, when... It seems as if that trials and afflictions of this life have no meaning but just to break our hearts. To, to say that affliction is working for us, that is faith. Because you're taking God at his word. You remember the centurion in Matthew 8, 8, he said, speak the word only. It's depending upon God to do exactly what he said and expecting and uh, expecting God to do it as well. So turn with me back to our main text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as I finish with our last point, and then I'll let you go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and verse 18. And notice this aspect of faith, and then I'll finish. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, and the Bible says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. What do you call that? Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of the things not seen. So when he said in verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, he's talking about having faith. 
For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So where is it that we are to look in order to have this experience? We are to look at the things which are not seen. Well, someone may say, why in the world would a man or woman look at something he couldn't see? And why would he quit looking at the things that he can see? And the simple answer is because God said it. And so, but I would say this, that Satan will endeavor to so fill our minds with the things that we do see, that we will not have time nor brain energy to look at the things that we can't see. And so I thank God, friends, that we can deliberately turn our eyes from some of the things that are around us, that we can close our ears, even from some of the things which seek to press in our attention, and we can open the soul windows heavenward and look by faith at Jesus before the mercy seat. You remember what Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, when you see these things come to pass, the trials of this earth, natural disasters, wars, and etc., that drive people to despair and to break their hearts. He says, when you see these things begin to come to pass in Luke 21, 28, he said, look up, lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. And I'm glad, friends, that we can do that this morning. And so I'm going to end with this quotation and a, a promise, and then we'll finish. That we're told by Ellen White that often the, uh, the loftiest heights of faith we can only reach through darkness and clouds. I'll say that again. This was from her personal experience. She says that it has been my experience. Even the prophetess went through trials and afflictions, and we can expect it as well. She says that it has been my experience. This is not some theory theoretical book that she read. She actually personally experienced this in her life. She says that the loftiest heights of faith we can only reach through darkness and clouds. And so whatever darkness or cloud you find yourself in, if you find that darkness is shrouding your pathway and that it's taking much effort just to come to Jesus, just know that it's often in those times that we ought to exercise the greatest faith. You see, because affliction is working for us. He's not working against us, but he's working for us. And so if affliction is not working for you this morning, I pray that you may ask God to hire him for you. Because when affliction has done its work, you know what happens when you work, you expect wages, right? And the wages of affliction can either give you two things. It either makes us bitter, it makes us resentful, or it will make us ready and prepared to meet our God. And so my prayer for you this morning, as I close, I just want to finish with these two promises. Ephesians 3.20 the Bible says, now unto him that is able to, keep, uh, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So you have affliction working against us, but God, he wants to work in us. And last one, Philippians 2.13, the Bible says, for it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Sometimes people ask and even doubt, Lord, I can't do this. And that's the best place to start when you acknowledge that you can't do it and acknowledge that God can. And so when affliction is working for you, just know that God, he wants to work in you, that he wants to get you through that affliction, that when you come out, that you come out as gold. And so my question or my appeal to you is that just as affliction is working for us and that when affliction has done its work, he's expecting wages 
is this, is that you can either be bitter and resentful or you can see the affliction as a means to prepare you for Jesus when he comes. So do you want to meet him when he comes? If that is your prayer, please pray with me. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Father, for Jesus. We thank you for the trials in life, Lord, where we are reminded, Father, to seek you more earnestly. We know that, Father, that you are preparing us, Father, for the kingdom to come. And we know that each and every one of us go through affliction in life, but we thank you that we can turn to you, Lord. Even when we have brought that affliction upon ourselves, you are such a merciful God that you never leave us nor forsake us. So we pray, Father, this evening or this afternoon, that, Father, if any of us is experiencing affliction, may we know, Father, that just as your word says in Job 23, verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And so, Father, help us to trust you and help us to look to you in all things. We thank you that you have heard our prayer, for we ask it, Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This message was made available by the Stanmore Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit stanmoresdachurch.net. Hello folks, uh, nice to be with you again. Uh, William Mackland here. And today I would like to share another one of my poems, and this one is entitled, I'll Tell Him. When my day is all distressed, and I feel in need of rest, I will go to him in humble prayer. I will go to him with every care. I'll tell him what's on my heart. I'll unburden from the start, and he will show his forgiving face. He will shed on me his saving grace. Then I'll know real joy again as he takes away my pain. Hope's light now shines upon my path and I have his peace instead of wrath. Now I shall sing with joy again in the sunshine and in the rain for my father always bears me up. He offers to me his quenching cup I shall praise his name forever. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.